out by asking everybody, like, what inspired you to become a teacher? Or was it out of necessity that you had to become a teacher? Oh, So what inspired me to become a teacher for improvisation is, so I live in San Diego, and um, when I started doing improv, there wasn't a lot of training for improv in San Diego. So I was one of those people driving to L.A., the three-hour drive back and forth, for about three years is when I was doing Second City and I.O., and then when I really decided that I wanted to be able to stay in San Diego... What got me teaching was I got some people together and said, would you let me teach you improv? And then some other people that also were doing improv and making the drive. And I said, would you like to get together and sort of practice together slash let me teach and you give me feedback? Because I know that when you try to teach something is when you start to really learn it the best. So by being able to explain and teach it to somebody else, you yourself are learning. And so that's why I did it, and it was a great way to practice improv and start to be able to share this thing that I kept driving three hours uh, to go to do, and people were here like, what are you doing? So so that's really how it started with me actually teaching improv. I never planned to be an improv teacher. I planned to just perform. I really just enjoyed acting and performing, and that went from there. Were you teaching anything else before that? Uh, like teacher, like your background-wise, were you did you have a teacher background yes. before that? Yeah. I love teaching. And I think partly why I've always loved teaching is, well, two things. One, my parents were teachers. And while well, my, my dad is an athletic director and a teacher, my mom worked for the Board of Education. So I was around teachers all my life. And, you know, I remember when I was little, I would make my poor little brother who's four years younger than me, he'd be like four years old, and I'd be like practically tying him to a chair to make him play school with me. Um, and I think it's because I, I like teaching, but I also like the performance aspect of teaching, to be honest. <laughs> I would look at the teachers, they'd be like, you're up in the front of the room, and everybody's watching and listening to you. I want to do that. <laughs> so, yes. And then I was I studied communications. I studied television and radio in college, and then um, lived in New York City for a while and did video and, and produced videos. So I always felt like I was teaching i was teaching people with videos i was teaching them like medical subjects or teaching yeah about anything i did documentaries and then i actually got really interested in direct teaching so i joined teach for america and i ended up spending a couple years in new orleans with them and teaching and after that it really wasn't my thing to be in the classroom every day but i did want to keep teaching people especially in terms of lifelong learning so i went and got my master's in library science library and information science and so through that i was always like oh hold up hold up where did you? Because I went yeah. to Simmons. I went to Simmons, and I have a master's in library and information science. Oh my gosh! I'm gonna I'm gonna reach Skype screen, and we're gonna hold hands. Uh, San Jose State University. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, I did it because I love to. I love researching, and I just love being in libraries. And I thought, well, what if I could just help people in general? Like, whenever they want to learn something, how do you do that? Well, you have to find information. So, and this was the very beginning of like when online learning was starting and people were starting to be able to access databases online. And so it was really interesting. No, and I loved it. And people are very confused when they're, that's funny now. I know two people with MLSs or MLISs that also teach improv. And people like, how do you put that together? You're the most like outgoing, confident presenter that I've ever seen in a library. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, that's, that's how I am. That's how I'm wired. Yeah, so I was, like, when I would work there, I substituted for people on sabbatical at the University of San Diego, and they'd go on um, 
leave, you know, on sabbatical, and I would work their reference desk, and, you know, you're just constantly teaching, and I'd go in, and I would teach their classes and things, so I love that. So I've always enjoyed teaching. I have a big teaching background. So when you decide that, like, I'm done driving, let me teach you, obviously these people said yes, because we're here now. Did you right. did you take essentially the curriculums you were taking from like Io and Second City, or did you go ahead and build a new curriculum? Well, I certainly started with here's some exercises that I've learned here that I really like, um, and then very quickly started to put my own spin on them or find how they work for because there's because obviously there's a, a very there's a different population of people taking improv class here in San Diego than there is in Hollywood. And so that's the biggest difference is, um, and I continue to take classes. Uh, one of the first things I did was to start a visiting artist program. So in the past four years, we brought somebody down almost every single month from LA or even outside of, you know, Orange County, or we brought um, Pam Victor from out East and we brought somebody from Chicago. And so I guess that we're almost, wow, we should really count it up. Cause I bet we've probably had 50 different teachers come down, um, I don't know. That might be an exaggeration, but yeah, a lot. And so I'd always take their workshops. That was for me to keep learning and not have to drive up there. So it was wonderful. And so every time, you know, that you learn something from somebody else, you're looking to see, well, how does this apply to the goals of my students currently at various levels? But when you open Fina City, then you also opened a training program. Absolutely. The training center is the center of our entire thing of our existence. We have really honed the fact that the whole point of the theater and the training center is simply to bring more joy to people's lives, to say, like, we can help you discover more fun, more courage, and more joy. That's not, if I was opening the same theater in in Hollywood or New York, um, that probably wouldn't be the goal of it. And that wasn't the top of my mind when I started the theater. It was only about a year in when um, my colleague, um, Kat Brown, and I started to really think about what people were getting out of the classes and the theater and everything, and we looked at each other and said, we're just making people happier. We just realized, like, improv made us so happy that that's what we were doing for others is sharing that happiness and showing them how fun it was and how ha- much more happy they could be in their lives. And the more opportunities we gave for people to play on stage along with their training and showed them that whatever they brought authentically was awesome the more fun we had then the more fun they had so that's really become our focus just more joy did you decide on scaled classes with the training center or because okay so why scaled classes why was that the right fit for you guys i mean by scaled class you mean like levels yeah level one level two level yeah Yeah, so we started with five levels uh, mostly because it's funny i went through all kinds of i i tend to be like a little over ambitious and over like thinking creatively about this is how we'll do it different rather than just being like first starting with what like hundreds of other people have shown works just awesome (laughs) you know so like I tend to overcomplicate things and then finally get back to simplicity and it's like oh yeah didn't need to go crazy but we learn a lot in the process so I say that because at first I was thinking of all these different ways to like make it different and then finally I was just like um in fact Rachel Romanski who worked with uh Second City quite a bit as a good friend of mine and she was really helpful in helping me think this through and plan it out and yeah finally we just settled on you no know, like people need six or seven or eight weeks in a class 
uh, of one with one group, a specific level, and then you move on to the next if you really enjoyed that and did well. So we started with five levels, and just this past year, we actually bumped it up to six levels because we wanted to put another beginner level in towards the front because we realized how accelerated ours were because people in San Diego are pretty happy with two hour long classes, unlike LA where it's three and a half hours and people are happy with the, the um, seven week session and then they get a week off. So we now have six, so it's a full year and the first three courses we consider are beginner and then the next are the first, yeah, the first two and then the next two are, um, intermediate and then the final two are more like heralds and I mean they're doing long form the entire time but we absolutely the people that come to level one are like I just went through a divorce I have social anxiety I need friends you know I want to meet more friends I just moved to San Diego there's about one in every group that's like I want to do improv <laughs> like we have so many students that have never seen improv and not even stepped on a you know or even come to see one of our shows and they're like yeah what is it exactly that blows my mind. I mean, it's awesome, but I guess just because I like to know what I'm buying. So it blows my mind when people come <laughs> in and they sign up for my class, but they've never seen one of our shows. I'm like, yeah. okay. I mean, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're here, and I love that you found us, and you're part of our community. I just – my brain is wired that, like, I kind of like to know what I'm stepping into. Right. Well, what's brought so much more joy to myself and, and our teachers, especially our level one and two teachers like Kat and Jesse and some other people, like it's been such a joy for us too to see people walk into a level one class going, I don't know, I'm here just to like feel more comfortable in my own skin or meet people. And by level three, they're like, yeah, I want to be on this group team. Yeah, I want to, you know, I'm going to show up all the time. And they're just, I mean, you just see the courage growing in them and the fun and they're, and they, so many people would just, you know, come up to us and tell us like, wow, like you've really changed my life. You've really made my life more fun. I didn't realize I was just, you know, down at work. I didn't realize what was possible, like crazy. And we were just like, what? We did this with improv. And so we just, we just focus on that now. And we just give people as much possibility to play and get on stage or create teams or whatever they want to do and just make the most of it. So do you guys do like metrics of what it takes to get from class to class or, or just mostly everybody just get through the class? So I'd love to go to a discussion about rubrics, but we do not have actual rubrics. What we do is, um, with, I think it's because of my teaching background, like I, you know, and, and teach for America really helped me understand this in the training we got from them is how prepared you need to be to actually have teaching be effective. And so I am, as a leader of the training program and the one that wrote the curriculum, definitely with some collaboration with some of our teachers, but like every level has absolutely clear learning objectives and those learning objectives are, um, communicated to the classes. So at the beginning of every class, you're com they're communicating what the learning objective is at what level they're supposed to be able to reach it. Um, all the while, of course, you know, having fun, but, I find that the classes have way more fun if they know what the goal is of the class, what's expected of them, and then they can play more in that. And we give feedback and we ask for clarification that they're learning. So every class is like, great, what, you, what are you taking away? What are you learning from this? Everybody has, you know, we have everybody respond with something, one little thing that they've learned or 
So we don't have like a grading system, but because our learning objectives are so clear for every single class and every level that the teachers are able to identify if the students are falling behind and then have a discussion with them about that. Do you have required, like you have to check in with your students if it's seven weeks, like after week three, or is it up to the teacher to then just be like, oh, we need to have a, we need to have a talk. It's up to the teacher to buy, and it's usually only levels one and two that we're concerned about. We find that once they're in three, um, they're, they're good to go um, because that's when they're going to do more advanced scene work. But So Kat Brown, who's our director of training, she checks in with the teachers midway through the term for level one and two and says, hey, is anybody struggling? How are you feeling? Everybody looking good? Everybody showing up? Is anybody starting to not show up? Because that's a sign of oh, maybe they're not feeling good about what they're doing. And so she'll call those students and she'll reach right out to them and be like, hey, how are you feeling about this? What's go- What's working well for you? What could we do better? And I find that 90% of, the pro- the, of when a student is struggling or falling behind, it's the teacher. And I don't mean that in a terrible way. What I mean is it's like trying to blame the audience for a bad show. It's not the audience usually. Um, how can you adjust your teaching techniques? How can you um, add more teaching to different learning styles? You know, like I'll make sure I literally write up, and most of our teachers do, write up the learning objectives on the whiteboard. They'll write words up as people are saying them so that those people that need to see it visually will get that. So we do all kinds of stuff like that to try to reach the students. And yeah, so <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Because the effectiveness of the teacher is so important, do you guys, how are you feeling your teachers then? Are you having a train the trainer program or was it when you, like you still have the same core of teachers you had when you started? We have a lot of the same teachers, um, but we've tripled the amount we have. I think we had about three or four and now we're up to, I think, 11 or 12. Um, so we definitely, uh, we groom the teachers. We look for people that have some sort of experience working, teaching other people beyond besides improv. If they don't, um, we work with them. Every teacher that wants to teach with us starts by doing a couple drop-in classes. We see how that goes, um, which any of our ensemble members can run the weekly drop-in. From there, we ask them to shadow classes. So they have to shadow three different classes at three different levels. Or if we know that they're probably going to be best in the lower level classes, we'll have them shadow those classes. From there, they talk with Pat, um, and we have a teacher handbook, which goes over how we approach improv, how we approach improv training, all the rules, how to be effective in the classroom, and all that stuff. And so they get that training. And then we were, we're actually switching. We were doing every term we had a teacher meeting, which was starting to turn more into like, how are things going, and what could we do better? And there wasn't a lot of opportunity to train the trainers, so... But we have, over the years, brought people down that I respect as a teacher, like Craig Kikowski or Jay Suko um, or Nick Armstrong, and we've had them do workshops, and Brian James O'Connell, we had them all, we had them do workshops where we, you know, pay for the teachers to be in those workshops. We're starting now to do teacher salons, where once a quarter, we're going to spend a few hours together, and there's different, you know, myself or other more, what we call, like, master teachers, experienced teachers are going to run sessions to practice. Are you going to have, like when you say practice, like a living like a living lab essentially so that you can be right there and then you can give immediate feedback to them and here's what I'd love to see from you. Yeah, somewhat, and sometimes I just find that, you know, they, I mean, it might be like the upcoming salon. I might simply just talk about like, 
hey, there's this cool tool that I know about called a KWL. This literally just write the letters KWL on a board. And that's just to help engage students with what do you know about today's topic? What do you want to know? And then at the end, fill in the L column, which is what did you learn? So little tools like that, I probably this time will share uh, things that teachers use, you know, in regular effective classrooms. Um, how to know if your objectives are clear so that you can actually see if they're working, you know, like how to write a clear learning objective. Um, so I will probably focus this time on that kind of thing because that's the thing where they can, they're already great at, you know, doing improv and talking about improv and helping people get excited about improv. So I'm going to give them some more teaching information. Right, which I think is absolutely great. I think there's a lot of people who are not getting that, which is, I mean, not to say they're being, they're a bad teacher or anything like that. It's just they're not getting that, and I think that's a piece of the puzzle that makes a really effective teacher. So I get to see lots and lots of teachers. I know it's the delay. Uh, we have this visiting artist program, so I've seen, like I said, I don't know, maybe 50, 50 teachers come and give workshops, and I've seen most of them, or at least we always get feedback from the students how it went. And I can tell you that the majority of the time when the work, when the students like they got a lot of value out of the workshop, it's two things. It's one, the, the content didn't match what the description was. And so they signed up to, to have help with a certain issue, a certain pain point, a certain desire, right? And they got there and it, they didn't, it didn't really get addressed as well as they thought it would. And number two, the teacher wasn't prepared. The teacher didn't come in with the understanding that they needed to prepare to improvise or prepare to teach. So like you could see they come in and they, and I think this works for some people in the right situation, but when they come in and they say, Hey, so how are you guys feeling today? What do you feel like learning? What are you guys going to do? Let's talk about it. Where are you guys at? And they spend a half an hour just like chatting and figuring out what, but like their description said, this is what I'll teach you. And so I think you, if you can come in with clear learning objectives and strategies to teach that and the lessons that tie back to that, like you're going to have a great workshop and it shows every time. Yeah. I, I think there's a time and a place for, Hey, what is it you guys want to work on? But I feel like that's more of in a coaching situation than it is in a teaching classroom situation. Um, I, I always feel like as the, if I'm teaching a workshop, then they're they don't have to do anything but show up, and I and I'm the one who brings in all does all the heavy lifting and brings everything in because they're there to learn, is my thing. Uh, if somebody Absolutely. comes to me, obviously, like if people come to you and say this is what I like for us to work on, that's to me is an entirely different, it's an entirely different setup. So, yeah, I think it's super important. Yeah. You find tools that you from that you learn for teaching in the classroom to be valuable in an improv world. So, in addition to, and to me, pain point isn't even necessarily like let's actually explain to people what pain point is, because I know that from like corporate speak. Yeah, that's not a, not a teaching thing. It's more of a customer thing, which every student is is a customer of yours. And they, they put on money for because there's something going on right now at this time in their world that they would like to improve upon, right? And that's why the level one and two is, is heavily focused on connection and fun and building support and trust and having them dip their toes into improv and challenge themselves just enough to feel great about what they did. 
And then, so if we've had some level one and two sessions where clearly half the class didn't sign up again because um, it was really focused on like, hey, this is a thing I just learned at a workshop about scene work. Let me show it to you. And they're like, what is this, right? I'm not having fun anymore. So it's just really good to know your audience, know your customer, and check in on that. One of the things that I think is absolutely important to succeeding in teaching, uh, I teach a lot of corporate workshops as well. And in there, in corporate workshops, this is even more important, is the checking for understanding or debriefing, applying outside of the classroom, uh, which is one of the hardest things to do. Um, I have made a list of about 12 questions that work well in those situations to check for understanding, to apply it outside of the classroom, and to see if people are, are with you. And the most important thing about that is they've got to be open-ended, authentic, questions that don't yeah that's it open-ended and authentic oh and the biggest thing I about that is once I ask the question no matter how uncomfortable the silence is I have to count to like 20 in my head and not say a word until I get to that so I know that some people struggle with the open-ended question because they're afraid they're gonna say something wrong or they don't want to say it in front of their peers or they don't want to offend you so that's, yeah, that space, it can be hard sometimes when you're standing in front of a classroom and it's just kind of quiet. Absolutely. And that's your fear kicking in, just like an improv, you know, when you're talking too much in a scene. And so there's giving, a lot of people need time to process. Um, if you have a, a class that's, that does that a lot, you might be like, great, you have your notebooks nearby. Go ahead and write down what you're thinking. Get them writing first. And then, great, is there anybody that wants to share? The other thing I do, especially in corporate workshops, is I will go ahead and put structure on it before I even ask. I'll say, great, um, well, let's hear three things that were particularly challenging to you while we were playing that game. Can I hear from three people? And because I've told them I need to hear from three people, three people are going to speak up. Still, if I need more help, what I'll do is I'll say, um, you know, some so let's say, hey, so Melissa, uh, I saw you. You looked a little like you were having a little bit of challenge. Is that correct or or no? And then she can say yes or no, and then she can talk more about it, kind of thing. So, and that's like one of those skills that like every workshop I do, I get a little better at it, and a lot of times I fail at it. And it's one of those things that takes just takes patience and confidence and knowing how to ask the right questions. But it's incredibly valuable when you let it happen because that's when they're basically teaching back so it, again so like remember when I said I just did to teach it was because I wanted to get better at what I was doing I wanted to make sense of it so if they're able to explain back what's happening or talk about what their thoughts are they're learning so much more than they're just participating as a as a player do you like to run your classrooms? So I'm a bit ritualistic in the sense of um, when I'm coming into the classroom, I make sure to get there like X amount of time beforehand and I make sure I like to have the chairs set up, um, that kind of stuff. So do you have anything that you do to just make sure that the classroom is that welcoming, supportive environment the moment they walk in? Yeah, I think one of the things uh, along that line that I really stuck with me from Second City is every time we'd walk into Second City class, Nobody would be sitting. They'd be up in a circle playing tape ball, Jump, just bopping the tape ball around counting. And everybody, as you showed up, you just jumped in the game. 
And so we do that too, because I think it just creates an energy and excitement and inclusiveness. There's no sitting around looking at each other. Even on day one of level one improv, there's no sitting talking for 20 minutes. You come in and you just start playing because we all know how to play. Like we can look at people passing a tape all around and be like, oh, okay, and just play it. Um, so we always start our classes. I also am a stickler for, at least I am, <laughs> for starting on time, even if that means we just start playing some games. And as people show up, they can sit down and I'll tell them when it's a good time to jump in. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, my ritual is to start on time, start active on your feet, and then about 10, 15 minutes in, circle up, talk about shows they've seen talk about uh, things that happened in their week. We always either do a rose and thorn check-in or a significant events um, just to bring like, hey, remember, we're here as people, you're humans, everything out there affects us and it actually should affect us in our improv, I feel. And then from there, we talk about, great, what did we remember from last week? And here's what today's focus is. And giving them the focus, usually right up on the board. And then we do some, uh, one or two more warm-up exercises as like a bridge into the topic to get them thinking about that. Um, and from there, we then actually move into one or two of exercises that are just totally tied into that learning objective. At the end of the class, um, we check for understanding. So we do one more thing to have a lot of fun as a group, just if you'll go out on a high note in case we're not. And then we circle up and then I say, great, let's uh, one takeaway. You can close your eyes. You can look down. You don't have to look at each other, whatever you want, but toss up toss out one takeaway, one word. It could be like a funny thing you heard today, but let's just seal it with, with one last um, share. And then that's that. That's how I pretty much run every class. Awesome. I, it's good too, because th if they know, if students know what to expect, then they don't have that anxiety because there's enough anxiety already to get up on stage without the script, <laughs> right? Like, Absolutely. I, I would so, say there's one part I left out. The part that, a part that I have found, I've, found myself doing over the years that has been extremely helpful is there's times in improv where you're like, okay, two people up and everybody else is sitting. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just remember from LA that I, you know, there'd be times you'd be sitting there a long time. And so I don't remember what teacher it was that I noticed doing this, but we were never inactive while we were sitting watching other people's scenes. So if two people up or half the room was up, they always, uh, and this is what I do now. I turn to the people sitting in the class and I say, great. Uh, you're still part of this, your teammates, your group needs you, so you're watching, and remember today's focus is uh, characters based on, you know, real life, uh, so that's what you're looking for, and after each scene, I'm going to ask for three people to share what if they saw that and what they saw, and give shout-outs to your classmates, and so they know that at the end, um, they're still involved, and then you turn, and you're like, great, what did they do well? Let's name three awesome things you just saw even if it's repetitive, even if it's like, yeah, I know the last two people also just did this, those three things, say them again, because they need to hear that and they need to hear it from you, not from me. And so it's reinforcing the lesson, it's reinforcing what the students are looking for and learning about, and they're pointing it out. They're saying, oh, I saw it there, I saw it there, I get it. So you're getting it from both sides, the lesson. So that's one of the things I highly recommend everybody do if they can. Yeah, I love that, because I'm constantly thinking about like, okay, like there's there's points in my own curriculum where I'm like, oh, this is a heavy. There's going to be a lot of sitting in this class because there's a lot of just yeah. two person up going through the sludge. We got to get through this. We got to do it. And I know for myself, I loved 
I loved watching problems while I'm engaged, but there's people are there because they have ADD. So yeah, they're not going to be able. <laughs> I, 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 every time it's like two people up, I'm like scrambling, fighting people to be the one on stage. Cause I hate sitting there. I want to play. Are you guys, uh, to monitor the progress of the teachers? Are you guys doing like evaluations and surveys? Yeah, we do surveys from the students every, every term. We've always done that. And um, they're almost always positive. There's always, um, but then we check to see if there's any red flags and then we'll check in with the teacher. We also, um, once a term we'll go sit in for half a class to one of the teachers. We do like a rotation where we just check in with them, um, and see how they're doing, see how we can support them, see how we can make them even better. It is a lot of work. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just so, so much, much work. work. I know. It's so much work. Have you yourself ever gotten an evaluation back and you're like, huh, I didn't see that coming? Gosh, I think so. I'm trying to think of a specific example. But for sure, I'm sure I did. I'd have to look back and see what they are. But I know that um, one of the things I've noticed is consistency. And I think I was like, I was more fine with it in LA where like, Oh, we have a sub. I get it. That's cool. Like some of the teacher got a gig, like awesome. They're working actors here. Like, first of all, never have a sub on, on day one. That now does not work. And we don't even allow people to teach classes anymore. If they're going to have a sub on day one, we're like, no, we need to know that it won't work. Um, and then you cannot have a sub for a seven week term. You can't have a sub more than once you can do twice if it's totally needed. But like, I, I, I had a, a class recently and it was level five. It was their final level, but I let them down a bit because I knew I was going to be out once, but then I got sick another time. And so they had me for five out of seven and they had two different people for those others. And they just felt jipped a little bit. They were just like, and it wasn't because I'm better than the other subs. It was just because that, like you said, that the know what to expect, the consistency sets up an environment where people can be free and learn. And when that's shaken, it's harder for you to do that, especially in a two hour class. It's like, wait, what? Ah. So as prepared as those other people can be, that's just really hard. So I would, you know, they were not happy. So we did some extra work. <laughs> what are you doing for yourself? What do you do to continue honing your skills as for teaching? Um, for teaching, uh, well, I've pretty much read every other improv book in the world, which I love doing. Um, you also wrote a book. I also wrote a book, which I'd love to talk to about, talk about. But I'm actually going back through our entire curriculum right now since we added the new level. And I'm rewriting every lesson um, and making sure that every lesson builds on the next lesson. So I'm, I've actually challenged myself to go through and reformat and rewrite each lesson. Um, I'm also teaching the conservatory. So last year I added on a program that's four months, no, five months long that students that have completed the entire levels one through six and are on a team and done some other stuff can apply. And I take 10 students and we spend five months together, three hour long classes, three weeks on one week off. And it's more of like, um, they're giving me feedback every, every night. So, um, it's, it's more of a like, Hey, I'm going to, in that, they get to learn how to coach. They get to learn how to teach. They get to learn how to direct. They get to learn some tech. They get to learn, they get to, we start with improv. It's a lot of improv too, but they also learn some how to use um, improv for sketch and how to use 
improv to apply it outside of their, you know, whatever their passion is. But we do, a, it's, it's basically a performance conservatory. So they're performing a lot and we're spending a lot of time as a group. So yeah, I'd say I basically may just, I just take a lot of workshops when we have our visiting artists and I read a lot and I challenge myself to always find out how I can write better lessons. Let's talk about the book for a second okay. before I hop into some other things. Um, plug it, and then let's talk about it. Okay. Well, the book is called Relax. We're all just making this stuff up. And it's using the tools of improv to create more courage and joy in your life. And it came out of, I wanted to write a book that would be used actually to help create um, uh, you know, better reputation for corporate programs. And then I started putting it together and um, realizing that what, what, what wanted to emerge was a book that took the principle of his improv and, and showed why these people kept coming to our level one and then getting, being happier, having more courage, finding more joy in their life and what they did. So collected their stories of all these people that were telling us this, wrote down some of the basic improv exercises, um, that are done in our classes. And then I break down, um, I introduce how I got to it and how it's actually created more. I'm pretty courageous, but improv has honed that and made me more courageous in life. And so it just breaks down the principles of improvisation in a way that anybody who's never heard of improv would want to read it. So it's not really a book. It's not meant for experienced improvisers. It's meant for people that are taking level one, considering level one. Um, I give them to all my corporate clients anyway because they're not improvisers and they're just learning. And so they're like, great, what's this about failing can be okay? <laughs> you know, or what's this yes and phrase? It just it describes that simply. That to me also is a great way to also hone your own teaching skills because you had to figure out, like you said, it builds one chapter, had to build upon another chapter, had to build another chapter. So that's in of itself a great way to hone your own skills and do right. it. It really forces you to think about sequence, forces you to think about like what comes first, building trust, building support, saying yes and, like you've really got to be clear in your head because you got to be able to explain that. And then that, yeah, that does help you with your teaching. I'm also always impressed when an improviser can write shit down. <laughs> it's really hard and you absolutely need collaborate. You need people to read it. You need lots of different people to read it. I had somebody who I, um, she interviewed me, oh, one of my employees interviewed me for a while and I wrote the outline and then she just started putting words to paper for me and that helped me that I was able to take that and then, um, actually write the whole, write the book. You know what I'm saying? So there's no, and, and also like it says in the book, like start in the middle, never start in the beginning because that's the hardest part is the intro or trying to explain what this book's going to be about. Just start writing, write a lot of stuff, write as much as you can. Just now it's great. You can just open up a Google doc and just voice. You can just talk into the Google doc and just get your, get your thoughts down. Right. So. I know, right. So much different than when we actually were using card catalogs. So <laughs> <laughs> I love the card catalog. <laughs> yeah. With all these things that you guys are already putting in place and whatnot, I feel like with the feedback that you do and with asking students to be present and to give shout outs and whatnot, you might avoid some of the pitfalls of like a difficult student or a student pushing on feedback. Um, is that a, is that true? That's really accurate. And I've seen that over the four years we've been doing this, that in the first year or two, um, you know, Kat was spending a full-time job just, and she still does, but it's a, it's a more positive experience of connecting with students there. Yeah. There's absolutely less things to deal with 
that are perhaps negative. So, and let me tell you, anybody who is starting a training center, um, just know that you need that person that is an extrovert, that loves connecting with people, that's going to spend time calling every single student when it gets time to re-register and checking in and making sure they're, and then, you know, because nine times out of ten, they're just like, oh, my gosh, I loved hearing from you. And um, I just wasn't I just forgot that I was supposed to register and then she'll get them registered. But she's also making connections because she really cares about them in the program, too. Um, so you really need that person. And that's the hardest thing about improv training is just getting people in the program and keeping them in it and making sure that they're having a great experience. Have you ever had to ask have you ever had to ask a student to leave your class? Yes. Um, a couple times. Sometimes there's people in your in the improv classes that are there with problems that are beyond your expertise. And I've actually gotten to the point where I put up a, a, we have a sign about students' rights, and then we also have a sign that's like where to get help. Because improv is not therapy. It's therapeutic, but it is not therapy. And all improv teachers need to know that there's a point where you can pull a student aside after class and make sure nobody else is around and you can talk to them and say, uh, you know, look, this is, I think some of the stuff that's happening in the class is making um, some people feel uncomfortable. Are you feeling uncomfortable? And they'll probably tell you, yes, I'm feeling uncomfortable. And they'll start spilling a lot of information. And that's when you say, great, this is beyond my expertise. And I, you know, I really want to see you do well. I just, I just have this information here. We actually have information for a local, like, for mental health clinics and, and that kind of thing. So, cause we do have some people that have had real problems and some of them have turned it around and they've come out beautifully, but they, but you can't take responsibility for that, which is a hard lesson for me because I also want to help everybody. I'm a foster mom. Like I am a woman who's like, I must help this child, you know, it's teach for America and like that's in me. And so it's, it's hard to remember that I can't, um, solve everyone's problem. I can teach them improv and teach them how to have a little more confidence in themselves and have some more joy in life. And that is a lot already. I would say too, we have had a couple of students. It's very rare, but we have had, and our teachers are pretty trained to this too. If there's an uncomfortable situation with like, um, inappropriate touching, uh, we have trained them to be able to bring that up and talk about it right then. How did you train them? Um, well, we've written out the steps of what to do in our teacher handbook, and it's basically that before any of that happens, every class, every term, we remind the students of what is appropriate, what is not, and we have a quick discussion about that. And so we didn't used to do that. We used to have more problems, and now we don't. Um, when it's happened, um, we tell the teachers that they can say, great, uh, I felt a little uncomfortable at that moment. Did anybody else? And then we have clear guidelines of like, great, if like a man touches a woman's breasts um, in any of our classes, you're allowed to stop and say um, straight up, hey, there is no touching. Um, we need to stop class for a minute and we're going to have a quick, we're going to talk about this, but we're going to, we're going to move on quickly. But um, this is, this is not acceptable. So, and that's it. I mean, you have to be direct. Right. And I think that directness, though, can, is sometimes difficult for people because we're very conditioned to not be direct. Yeah. And then I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like I've also been conditioned somewhat as a female that my directness may then also not be the right way to behave. Absolutely. So that, so that can are more like right. that. Right. Plus, when something like that happens, it throws you. You don't expect it, and you're like, well, I, uh, uh, you know, you're like, you're like dumbfounded a little. So, and, and, and 
it's one of those things that um, I'd probably talk more confidently about it because I've been doing, you know, dealing with it a little longer, but definitely a newer teacher. Yeah. The first time it happens, you know, they're going to be, it's, it's hard to deal with. And what we tell them is you just immediately tell Kat or I after the class, that this is what happened. And then Kat's really good about calling and talking to the person about it and being like, look, it could have been absolutely, like, it wasn't an accident. It was this, we just want to make sure everybody's safe. We remind them about the rules and we move on. And usually it's uh, actually every time it's turned out just fine. The biggest thing we've, we can, we find is that we've had a couple of, and it's been guys that have decided that they're in love with somebody else in the class and they take it too far and they don't give that person their, their space. And yeah, Kat and the teacher take them aside and say, this is what we're noticing. Are we correct? They're usually like, no, I'm totally in love with her and she won't give me the time of day. And then they're like, well, um, you know, take it outside. This is no, not, no, don't even take it outside. Like this is uncomfortable for them. And we will need to switch you in a different class and they'll we'll switch them their class. And if they don't want to stay, then they don't. And we're okay with that. It works out that you guys are able to have, cause some people don't have enough classes that they're like, well, we're going to switch you out. Right. Like they just don't have that kind of luxury. It may be their only class. <laughs> right. then, then that becomes. And you might I suggest that if it's, if it's gotten to that point and, then, and that woman's come to you more than once, then you better ask that, uh, the man and ask them to, to wait out a semester and come back if they'd like. Right. Uh, if they don't come back, remember you're not a therapist and you're not a matchmaker. Right. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. So just being that you're female, diversity is already, it's already on the table. So what else are you guys doing in the classroom to help facilitate that discussion um, for when, for diversity on stage or lack of diversity on stage or choices that perhaps aren't the most appropriate diverse choices on stage? Absolutely. So yes, correct. Um, I think what's great is like Kat and I are both women. Um, and we even have different generations. So there was generational diversity. Um, she's 20 years younger than me. Um, and then there's, um, we have teachers that are gay or lesbian. We, we, we have different ethnicities. So we, we are diverse in presentation, but absolutely there's still in the class. And I think again, 